WJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talked to John Hodge of Three Down Nation. Looking back at that stunning Blue Bomber loss to the Alouettes Thursday night. And then we will talk to Matt Bowen, who's the president of the Manitoba Powerlifting Association. Their provincial championship is this weekend. That's coming up on the podcast. Maybe you're looking for some live sporting action this weekend in Winnipeg. Maybe you're wanting to check out something a little different. So why not the Manitoba Powerlifting Championship? Here to tell us all about it is the president of the Manitoba Powerlifting Association, Matt Bowen, who's also the director of this weekend's competition. Yeah, so this weekend we're hosting the 2022 Manitoba Powerlifting Association Provincial Powerlifting Championships. We're doing it at the Holiday Inn Express on Ellis Avenue. Um, Lifting starts at 11 on Saturday. Uh, we have two sessions that day, and again, we're going on Sunday, again at 11 a.m. Uh, we have 62 athletes competing. It's the best of the best for Manitoba, and we hope to see you guys out there. So what are the different lifts that are part of this competition? Yeah, so in powerlifting, we have three different lifts. There's the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. So in a competition, you get to have your best crack at three attempts at each of the lifts, the best one that you complete without breaking any rules, is the one we record. You add up the three lifts, and that determines your total. Whoever has the highest total in that category wins. So it's, I guess, pretty simple formula to figure out who's the winner. Yeah, it's, it's not too hard. Uh, some of the difficulties people have are following all our technical rules. There's a lot of ways to get little fouls along the way, which can uh, make your good lift, which you thought was done, into a bad lift. So when you say fouls, then, does that mean... You, that lift just completely doesn't count if there's a little technical flaw? Uh, it can be. So we have three judges that um, judge every lift. Um, for example, in the squat, if your hips don't break below your knees, then we say that you didn't go low enough, and we call a red card for depth. So if two judges think that you weren't deep enough, you're not going to get a good lift. On the bench press, sometimes people go up and down with the bar path, and... You know, we call the double bounce. It's not a good lift. On the deadlift, sometimes you don't lock out all the way or you drop it too soon. Uh, not a good lift. Okay, so how much practice do, does it take to, to get good at these lifts? Yeah, so that's the thing about powerlifting. Um, there's so many different training models, so many different levels of competition. So somebody that just casually goes to the gym and does these three lifts, um, they can enter our local competitions. But at the provincial level, these people are, they're better. They had to qualify to get here. And they are probably training anywhere from three to five, sometimes six times a week, usually in dedicated sessions, especially as you get closer to the competition. People tend to go heavier, um, spend more time in the gym, get a lot more tired so that they're ready for the competition. So when you're talking about doing this, three, four, five times a week. Are they doing all three of them all at the same time each day, or is it separate training sessions for each lift? Um, yeah, that's another thing that people customize. Some people practice the big three. We call them squat, bench, deadlift every day. Some people just have a bench day, a deadlift day, a squat day. Or they mix it up. There's so many different ways that you can program. And that's why for us, we always recommend get a good coach who's done this for a long time. can help you guide you based on your own individual needs, your age, Someone that's, you know, 16 is going to be able to do a lot more than somebody that's in their 70s. And we have people in their 70s. So what what is the age range of the participants? You said there's 62 athletes competing? Yeah, I think our youngest athlete this weekend is 15. 
maybe 16. And we have people into their 60s. So we have a good long, uh, a good age range this year. And how many different categories are there in terms of the age groups? Yeah, so for categories, we have a youth division. So we don't actually have any youth competing. Um, the Canadian Powerlifting Union is letting children as young as eight or nine compete nowadays, um, which is cool. It's a new initiative. Um, so there's the youth division. The sub-junior division is up to 18. The junior division is up to 23. Uh, then you have your master's classes, masters one, two, three, four are the equivalent of 40 to 50, 50 to 60, 60 to 70, 70 plus. And then everybody in that middle age range is an open from 24 to 40. Anybody in any of those other age classes can join the open if they want to compete against the best of the best. And sometimes people do that. So how does one become a judge of such a competition? Yeah, so usually um, our judges are some of the bigger fans of the sport. Maybe they've been lifting a long time themselves. They like giving back. Um, basically you kind of apply at the level with a referee chairperson and she will do a test, a written test. You have to get 90% on it. It's very difficult. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a challenge for a lot of people. We don't always have a high success rate in, in the test. Then you do a, um, a practical portion at the competitions. Assuming that goes well, you do that for a couple of years, you can become a national ref. You do that for a few more years, you can become an international ref. You do that for five more years, and you're one of the top refs in the world. A Category 1 International, which we have, actually. We have one named uh, Brock Haywood, and he's going to be there this weekend. And can you then referee one of these competitions, like an international competition? Yeah, yeah. So our international refs have gone all over the world. I think they were just in South Africa. Wow. Um, yeah, they go everywhere. Powerlifting's... Uh, yeah, it even recently got recognized as a sport in China. Now that we're recognized by the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, I think it is. Um, yeah, powerlifting was fighting for quite some time to be recognized. So technically, we could be elected into the Olympics one day. We're in the World Games, but we're not in the Olympics yet. It is really universal, though, because if you've got access to a barbell and some weights, anywhere in the world you can do these things. Oh, absolutely. And So we have powerlifting this weekend. Also, sometimes we offer just a bench press only competition. We also offer Paralympic powerlifting. So that's bench press for people that have physical limitations. Um, so that's a lot more accessible than sometimes the having a squat rack or, you know, enough weights to do deadlift and space to do it. Um, so, yeah, basically, if you're doing Olympic lifting, it's a lot more dangerous. Overall, you're dropping weights overhead. Not a lot of gyms like you doing that, dropping a bar from, you know, 12 feet in the air. Um, whereas you can do powerlifting at pretty much any gym that has a squat rack. So it's a lot more accessible. With Instagram and YouTube, people are able to really learn a lot on their own, which is why there's been such a tremendous growth in the sport over the last few years. What kind of numbers are we going to see at this event? What is the, the highest maximum that you've seen in terms of the combined total? In terms of the combined total, yeah. Um, locally, it depends kind of what class you're in, but we have a lifter. She's not competing this time. Uh, Haley Kostanewik, she went to the international championship. She got a couple silvers, I believe. Um, anyway, she can squat well over 500 pounds. Wow. Um, for the men, we may see something in the 700-pound range this, this weekend. I'm not too sure. Um, bench press guys are doing well over 400 sometimes 500 pounds 
women sometimes up to 300 pounds if they're very, very strong. Uh, deadlift, I mean, there's guys that internationally are pulling over 1,000 pounds now. Um, for us, we'll probably see a 700-pound one, maybe an 800-pound one if we're absolutely spectacularly lucky. Those are some very high numbers. Can people go watch this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're doing a $10 admission for one day, $15 for the weekend. Um, the lifting starts at 11 a.m. on both days. Uh, Saturday will be longer because there's two sessions. Sunday, there's just one. And anybody's welcome. I'm curious, too. You mentioned it's at a hotel. Do you just rent out a, a ballroom and then do it all up, weightlifting weight style? Yeah, yeah. So we're having we're setting up for about 200 spectators. Um, so we find that a ballroom in a hotel, like we're at the Holiday Inn Express on Ellis, they have a sort of a three divided ballrooms that we're taking the whole space up. Um, we rented it all out. It allows us to really station ourselves from the weekend, give us a, a good presentation. You know, we can have vendors in there, which we have. Um, yeah, this whole event sponsored by a local company for supplements called Bodies by Science. So, um, yeah, we're hoping to have just a, a good turnout of spectators, volunteers, athletes, coaches, families. Um, but yeah, anyone's welcome to come on down. Ten dollars for the day, fifteen for the weekend. So do you have to bring in your own flooring, racks, weights, all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. But as we've grown over the years, our inventory has gone from well, people kind of purchasing their own thing and lending it to, well, we own four racks, well, we own five racks now, and they're many thousands of dollars each. Yeah, a lot of barbells. We have to kind of create our own platforms which is taking a bunch of plywood, putting carpets over top of them and turning them into stations. We have to haul around thousands of pounds worth of weight. We have a trailer for that. Um, we have storage units. Uh, then we have to have curtains and aesthetics and computers and screens and laptops and all kinds of things. So our infrastructure is really growing, especially with you know the more technology we get. We're able to live stream this. We're going to be doing this on YouTube on the Canadian Powerlifting Union channel for anybody that wants to watch at home. Um, but yeah, we, it, uh, it takes a really a community to get these things going. We're going to have probably about 20 people, I'm hoping, show up to help set us up this evening on top of what the hotel's already done. Probably have about 50 volunteers throughout the weekend helping it run. And that's what's really cool about the sport is just how many people will show up just to be there to help contribute if they're not competing. Have you competed before? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, currently on a sabbatical, we'll say. It's been a couple of years, but um, yeah, I, I went to the Nationals a few times. Um, most recently, we hosted the Canadian National Championships in 2020, right in March, right before everything shut down. That's kind of the big bang before powerlifting died for a couple of years. So <laughs> yeah, that was the last time I competed. And how'd it go for you? Oh, pretty well. I uh, I went three for three while uh, on just on the bench press, and I did that while I was trying to, you know, figure out an import shipping issue we had with all our equipment at the same time. So I was lucky I had a coach that day to just put me on autopilot while I was on my cell phone. <laughs> That's great, Matt. Well, I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for this, and uh, best of luck with everything this weekend. Have fun. Thank you very much for having me. Matt Bowen is the president of the Manitoba Powerlifting Association. Again, their provincial championship this weekend. Holiday in on Ellis. We're going to continue analyzing now last night's Blue Bomber loss to the Montreal Alouettes with the man who was there in the press box watching it all unfold, and that's John Hodge of Three Down Nation. 
John, we've had almost 24 hours now to unpack and digest what we saw last night. Are you still shocked that the Bombers lost the game? <laughs> you betcha, Christian. This is, uh, it's not, a, it wasn't an impossible result to envision. I mean, this is the CFL after all. Anything can happen on any given night. But that said, you know, going into last night's game, I would have pegged the, the Bombers' odds of coming away with the win somewhere between 95 and 99%. And uh, the fact that they did not come away with the win is shocking. The manner in which they did not come with the win was also shocking. So, yes, uh, you know, it is the day after I've been trying to follow the sentiment of fans on social media. Some some people seem to be having some sober second thoughts, which is probably a good thing, but um, still a surprise. No doubt about that. The stunner, of course, is Mark Leggio's kick at the end where you just have to kick it through the end zone for a single point. You win the game. And he just shanks it, really. There's no other way of putting it. It was a bad kick and never had a chance to get out of the end zone. Then compounds it with the miss in overtime. Are you of the mind that he cost the team the game, or is it less simple than that? I, I think to say that Mark Leggio cost them the game would be a gross oversimplification. I mean, obviously, I think the two missed kicks were the biggest factor, but there there are... You know, there, there's there's a hundred players involved in any in any football game. There's over a hundred plays in any football game, and and each one plays into the winner loss. I think the shocking thing about the two misses is first of all, Mark Leggio was over ninety percent on the season. He came into the came into the game nineteen of twenty one on the year, one of the most reliable kickers in the CFL as far this season. The other thing is just the manner in which he missed those field goals. I mean, we're talking about a thirty two yarder. We're talking about a thirty seven yarder. I think it was. The wind at IG Field was not a factor last night. Um, it's not like we were dealing with, you know, swirling winds. It's not like we were dealing with, you know, a, a hailstorm. It's not like we were dealing with a downpour. It, it was it was prime conditions as, as far as I could tell. Um, the, the first kick especially, right, that's, that's the one that's wild because it's a 32-yard kick. And you're right. All he had to do was put it through the end zone. I know Joe Piscucci put out a clip today. Uh, from 1991, which is probably from before you were even born, Christian. Yep. But he put it out from uh, uh, Louis Pasaglia, the Hall of Fame kicker for the BC Lions in overtime, pounding a field goal through the back of the end zone. Did not make any attempts to put it up to the uprights, but it sealed a 29-28 victory for the BC Lions. I believe it was against the Calgary Stampeders. So anyways, it, um, that, that was the other very disappointing thing. He mishit the ball so badly it only trickled 10 yards into the end zone and made it pretty easy for Tyson Philpott to bring it out. So did he cost the Bombers the game? No, in my opinion, that's unfair. But obviously the performance was extremely disappointing and, and not up to the standard of, of where a professional kicker should be. And, uh, you know, to Legio's credit, up until last night's game, he was excellent. But unfortunately, last night's performance clearly left a lot to be desired. Yeah, I was born in 92, so you're right. Um, I also saw the dialogue online of, oh, well, they should have punted and they should have done this. The reality is you expect your kicker to make a 31-yarder or if not, miss it out of the back of the end zone. So the second guessing is because the execution was just so bad on that play. And credit to Legio, too, for coming out and speaking to the media after last night's game as well. The The question, of course, John, and this is, you know, we'll move off the kicking after this. Yes, he's been making the kicks. The context of the kick matters too, though, right? He misses a kick in the most clutch of moments so badly that it causes a lot of fans to think, oh, if this happens again, where he has to kick for the win, 
how's he going to feel? Is he going to be okay? I think that's a very valid question. And, you know, we, we've seen quarterbacks over the years. So we'll go in against a bottom feeder defense and they'll put up right 400 yards and three touchdowns. And then, you know, they, they, they go into the postseason and, and they, they shrivel right when the lights come on. Um, you know, I'll, I'll think of a, a, an example to the opposite of that. Like Zach Kolaris has played down to some opponents this season. He only completed seven passes in the win over Edmonton. But if you think back to that game at McMahon Stadium when they played the Stampeders, I mean, he, he put together one of the best quarterbacking performances I can remember in the recent history of the league. And he was also extremely sharp when they went into BC Play Stadium. And so your, your best players, your future Hall of Famers are the ones who can play their best when the lights are brightest, right? Against their best opponents, the biggest challenges, they play at their best. And you're right. Mark Leggio at this point seems to have kind of a, I, I suppose I would call it an inverse relationship that way with pressure. When the pressure's on, um, you know, he, he, he has floundered at times. He, he's made more challenging kicks. I think he made a 44-yarder earlier in the game, yeah, right? If you're going to miss... You know, you, you'd think the miss would come from beyond 40. Anything from inside 40, again, with without, you know, uh, bar, barring a bad hold or barring weather, you know, inside 40 should be automatic. And he missed it twice yesterday, both times with a chance to either win the game or or stop the loss from occurring. And and obviously it's it's at that point, one would think not a physical problem with his game. It's a mental problem. Hey, nailed a 45-yarder and then not so much on the, on the later ones. The offensive line last night and and the game before as well did not do an awesome job of protecting Zach Kolaris how much of that is on Montreal how much of that is Winnipeg and how much of that is the fact that Winnipeg just played 10 weeks in a row and maybe they're a little tired well I, I think it's it's a combination of those things I, I mean obviously the offensive line does deserve a share of the blame right I, I went back and watched the the strip sack on Zach Kolaris late in the game uh, from Wesley Sutton on the halfback blitz and you know, the Bombers had six blockers in. They have the O-line plus Brady Oliveira. There are only five rushers on the play, and 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 Sutton essentially came off the edge unchecked. Jamarcus Hardrick appeared to be just a little bit late recognizing the blitz. Wasn't able to slow him up quite enough. Kolaris gets hit in a vulnerable position. Ball comes out. And and if that doesn't happen, they you know, that that is as much a deciding factor in my view as the missed field goals, right? Because the bombers had all the momentum at that point. They were already in field goal range. They're already up seven points. Um, that was a that was a terrible offensive miscue, and and it was one that reared its head all night. I, I do think that some people are too quick to blame the offensive line for for the woes of of pressure. You know, I I, I once saw a statistic. Matt Castle, I think it was in two thousand eight. This was after Tom Brady's uh, you know sixteen and zero season with the Patriots. I think he was sacked something like fifty eight times. He was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. The next season, Brady came back and behind the exact same offensive line was the least sacked quarterback in the NFL. So offensive line obviously plays a role, but there's scheme, there's quarterback decision-making, there's execution of your check down receivers, execution of your blockers who are staying in to recognize the blitz. You know, there's, there's play calling, you know, is the offensive coordinator putting the offense into the proper positions to be successful? Are they reacting to the pressure appropriately? I think there were issues of play calling at times last night. I think Zach Kolaris held onto the ball a little bit too long at times last night. I thought it was a well-rounded issue. And and obviously Montreal, their, their defensive line has been mediocre, frankly, over the course of the season. 
but they played a great game last night as well. And I think they, they do deserve some credit. So the offensive line does need to be better, but I think this is a great opportunity on the bye to not only rest up, as you said, Christian, but also for the team to just do a little bit of self scouting and say, okay, let's watch our own film. Let's reflect on our own decision-making. Let's reflect on our own tempo and, and let's see what we can do to avoid another game like this, because we haven't seen Zach under a tremendous amount of pressure like we have last night in a very long time. I said earlier in the show that I feel like there's value in a loss like this for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers because, yeah, the 10-0 start would have been cool and, you know, going undefeated would be cool, but ultimately all that matters is winning the Grey Cup, and I think there's value in tasting your own mortality once in a while and remembering, hey, you know what? We can lose games if we're not on our game. And going into the bye week now, mad, heading into a big game against Calgary. Do you think there's value in a loss like this? I mean, I think you'd always choose to win, of course. Um, but that said, I mean, a loss was inevitable. Right? Like my colleague, Justin Dunk, on our podcast this week, taught, you know, asked me straight up, do you think this team can go 18-0? and And I, frankly, I, I laughed. I was like, no, <laughs> I don't think it's possible to go 18-0 in the CFL. I also don't think it's possible to go 0-18 in the CFL. It's too long of a season. It's, it's not a sprint. It's very much a marathon. Injuries happen. Um, inevitably in 18 games, you're going to come out flat at least once. Um, I think also that the difference between the CFL and the NFL is the NFL, you're always seeing new teams in the CFL. It's a small league. Everybody knows everybody. You play every team often multiple times, like, like Hamilton and Toronto are playing four times in a five week period. You know, th those teams are going to know each other as well as they know themselves by the time that's done. And when you're that familiar with your opponent, I think that breeds parity. So I certainly I don't think the Bombers need to sit here and hit the panic button. It's it's obviously a disappointing loss. And this is a team that had that entered last night's game winning 19 consecutive meaningful games dating back to I think it's week four of the 2021 season. So it, it, it's a shock when that type of streak comes to an end. I don't know what the last time a CFL team went that long without a meaningful loss. And uh, I think it's going to be a very, very long time before we see another team manage to accomplish something like that. But certainly I think this team has the right attitude. I think they're going to enjoy the bye week and, uh, and come back ready to play. At the end of the day, they're still in excellent position at the top of the West Division. They've already got the season series against Calgary. They've already got a game against the BC Lions. I think they will learn something from last night's game. But at the end of the day, this was a Band-Aid that was going to have to get ripped off at some point. Whether they started 10-0, 12-0, 14-0, doesn't matter. They were going to lose at some point. It happened last night, and uh, I don't think there's any need to panic over one loss. Before I let you go, just a thought on the game of the weekend, and that's tomorrow night in Calgary with the Stampeders hosting the Lions. 6 p.m. start between the, the two other best teams in the West that have only lost to Winnipeg so far. Uh, what are you looking to see out of this game, and is it all about Nathan Rourke? Well, I mean, unfortunately, I think injuries have, have really played into this one. Calgary already lost their all-star center, Sean McEwen, and their all-star cornerback, uh, Trey Roberson, to the six-game injured list. It was announced today. Kadeem Carey is still out. They've now lost Malik Henry, who has been, in my opinion, their most dangerous receiver this season. Uh, they've also lost Jameer Thurman, their starting middle linebacker. He's on the six-game injured list, so... I, I, unfortunately, I think injuries have limited that game a little bit. But that said, it's still the game of the week. It's still going to be a super, super fun uh, watch, I I think. I think Bo Levi Mitchell is going to be up for this game. 
I think that Nathan Rourke, I mean, this is his first opportunity to play against Bo as a starter. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I don't think Rourke has said this publicly. Um, I don't want to put words into his mouth, but I'm just saying if I was a young quarterback looking to establish myself in the CFL, I would have my first game against Boldy by Mitchell circled on the calendar. That is a game that, that you can certainly use to measure yourself. Can you go into McMahon Stadium where Boldy by Mitchell has dominated opponents for a decade now? Can you go in there and outduel him? I think Nathan Rourke will. And obviously, Bomber fans will be paying very close attention to this game because, especially after the loss last night, this game has massive implications for the playoff scenario in the West Division. So I guess then would Bomber fans be cheering for Calgary? <laughs> I if, I suppose mathematically, yes. If Bomber fans want to pick the, the team that, that would be most beneficial for Winnipeg, they should be rooting for the Calgary Stampeders. As wild as that is to yeah. say, that is correct. They should be wearing red and white and uh, sitting on the couch in a cowboy hat. There you go. Well, we'll see if that happens. John, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this and enjoy the football this weekend. Thanks, Christian. Anytime. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the